This evening we're continuing our overview of the Old Testament book titled Ezra. With this as the focus, let's open our Bibles to Ezra chapter 6. And as you make your way to the sixth chapter of Ezra, well, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that this book includes Ezra's account of the events that took place there in Jerusalem, you know, after the Israelites were set free from their Babylonian captivity. And while it's true that the people who returned to the land of promise were excited to rebuild the temple, well, it's also true that the foreigners who were occupying the region of Samaria, they were less than thrilled about their new neighbors as, as their neighbors showed up there in Jerusalem. And it's for this reason that the Samaritans set out to stop the reconstruction of the temple uh, because they knew that if they could rebuild the temple, then, then they would have uh, more of a, of a foundation and a grounding there in the land of promise. And they didn't want to see that happening. And so the Samaritans tried to stop the reconstruction of the temple by discouraging them and troubling them and frustrating the people of Judah. Uh, They initially attempted to infiltrate the ranks of Israel's leadership so that they could disrupt the work from within. But the the children of Israel saw right through their scheme. And and when this first plan failed, that's when the Samaritans decided to, to file an official complaint with the new king of Persia, all in the hopes that the king might command the Israelites to stop their construction project immediately. And it's sad to say that this devious scheme worked. When in, when in doubt, uh, use the government to just uh, you know, bring in some new red tape. Well, as a result, the Israelites abandoned the reconstruction of the temple, and for 14 years, and that, that construction project j- just sat there. And, and then came the day when the Lord raised up the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, and he sent these prophets to go and rebuke the leaders of Israel. And the reason why is because they were failing to follow the instructions of the Lord. Uh, rather than obeying the Lord, uh, the, these leaders there were obeying uh, the, this new rule from the king of Persia. And with that, I'll remind you that it was actually the Lord who instructed King Cyrus, you know, the king of, Israel, of Persia, he instructed King Cyrus to free the people of Israel from their captivity. And it was the Lord who led King Cyrus to encourage the Israelites to return to the land of promise so that they could rebuild the temple of God. And with that being the case, well, the Lord raised up these prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and sent them to the leaders of Israel to challenge them so that they might complete the construction project. And without hesitation, the leaders of Israel they received the rebuke. They received the rebuke and responded with repentance as they led the people back to the work of rebuilding the temple of God. Well, it didn't take long for the enemies of Israel to hear about the work that had been happening again there on Temple Mount. And it's for this reason that the angry antagonists, they immediately reported the rebellion to the Persian authorities. And in response to this report, that's when the Persian governor of the region came to Jerusalem to investigate and interrogate the, the leaders there in Israel. And, and, and by asking them one simple question, and the question that he asked was this, by whose authority are you building this temple and finishing this wall. He wanted to know uh, upon whose authority they got back to work on the temple. And in, in response, the elders of Israel informed the governor of the region that their authority had come from the God of heaven and earth. Yeah, the God of heaven and earth told us to rebuild this temple. And in other words, you know, they were pointing to the king of kings. Yeah, your king told us to stop, but the king of kings told us to start. 
He's the one who commanded them to rebuild the temple. And not only that, but they also reminded the Persian governor that, that this construction project had actually been decreed earlier by King Cyrus. It was actually 17 years earlier when King Cyrus gave the command to rebuild the temple. In response to these claims, you know, the Persian governor of the region, whose name was Tatanai, he decided to, to send a letter to King Darius in order to clear things up. You know, he, he sent the, 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 the letter to King Darius in order to check all the facts out. And it's here in our text tonight where we find the response of King Darius. Now, as we take this time tonight to consider the king's response, uh, we'll soon see how the Lord is able to defend those who serve him with fearless faith. And those who become the dedicated disciples of the Lord, well, they'll soon see how the Lord blesses the believers who are willing to endure the persecutions of angry antagonists who are trying to discourage and trouble and frustrate the people of God. Well, with all this context in mind, let's consider the, uh, the, the letter that King Darius wrote uh, after searching the archives there in Babylon. And, and with this as the focus, uh, look with me here at Ezra chapter 6. We'll pick up our study of this book, beginning there at verse 1. Here we learn that King Darius issued a decree and a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon and at Akmitha in the palace that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found, and in it a record was written thus. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations of it firmly uh, be firmly laid. Its height 60 cubits, and its width 60 cubits, with three rows of heavy stones, and one row of new timber. Let the expanses be paid from the king's treasury. Also let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be restored and taken back to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, each to its place, and deposit them in the house of God. Now here in these verses, we learn about the day when King Darius ordered a thorough search of the archives because he wanted to know if the Israelites were actually telling the truth about the previous decree of King Cyrus. And while we aren't told how long it took for them to find this scroll that they were searching for, what we do know is that they were able to locate the decree in question. As we consider the way that King Darius took this time to search for the scroll, we should take a moment to applaud his desire to know the truth. We should applaud his desire to, to know the facts of the matter. Uh, think about it. You know, this was the most powerful pol uh, political leader in the world at this period of time. The kingdoms of the world had been committed under, under his leadership by the decision and decree of God. And so he's the most powerful political le leader in the world at this period of time. And what this means is that he had the authority and even the ability to simply ignore the decrees of the past and impose his own rules upon the people. He could have just decided, you know, King Cyrus, whatever. Who's he? I don't know. I'm King Darius. Here's what I say. That's what he could have done. But rather than ruling out of complete ignorance of the past, he actually took the time to search for this scroll, and he, and he took time to, to research the past so that he might make good decisions in the present, knowing how they would affect the future. It's been rightly said that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Think about that for a moment. 
those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And there's a whole lot of history that I pray we do not repeat. And yet, it seems like we're heading down all the wrong paths because, well, we don't want to learn history. We don't want to know about the truth about the past. No, we just accept the, the political spin. And with that being the case, listen, we would all do well to spend time studying the past and learning about the mistakes of the people of the past. And, and this certainly includes the searching of the scriptures. We ought to be searching the scriptures so that, that we might learn the truth of, about the past of biblical times, which will help us to then make good decisions in the present, which will clearly affect our future. I like the way that Paul put it in Romans chapter 15. There he declares, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Christian, listen, those who want to have hope for tomorrow, well, we should spend time studying the scriptures today. And the reason why is because it's here in the scriptures where we find a written record of the past which provides us with instructions for today so that we can have hope for tomorrow. Well, with this as the goal, let's consider the way that King Darius responded after reading this decree that had been written previously by King Cyrus. Uh, let's pick up our study of Ezra chapter 6. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 6. Here King Darius declares, Now therefore Tatnai, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethnar Boznai, and your companions, the Persians, who are beyond the river, keep yourselves far from there. Let the work of this house of God alone let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. Now here in these verses, we find King Darius, he's honoring the previous decree of his predecessor, and he did this by instructing his appointed governor, Tatnai, uh, to provide the people of Israel with all of the, freedom, the freedoms that they needed to rebuild this temple on its site. In this way, we can see how the word of the Lord helped King Darius to make the right decision regarding the reconstruction of the temple. He went back, he studied the scrolls of the past, he looked at the, the decrees of previous kings, and he arrived at the proper conclusions. And, and, and I'd like to point out that it's not a stretch to say that it was actually the word of God that provided King Darius with the divine directions that he needed. To prove my point, I should remind you that the decree of King Cyrus wasn't something that he came up with on his own. It's not like King Cyrus just decided one day that he was going to make a certain decision regarding releasing the Israelites and the rebuilding of the temple. Oh, instead, the decree that was written by King Cyrus was actually given to him by God. But don't take my word for it. This is what King Cyrus said. As a matter of fact, it's back in the beginning of the book. Uh, it's in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, where Ezra informs us that it was the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given to me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. According to King Cyrus, it was the Lord God of heaven who had commanded him to, to create this decree. 
And it was by this decree that the Israelites were then able to return and, and rebuild the temple there in Jerusalem. Therefore, that decree, which was issued by King Cyrus, well, it was actually a record of God's command. It was a record of God's word. And what this means is that it was the word of God. We even find this in Ezra chapter 1. And so it most literally became the word of God. When King Darius then read that scroll that that had been written by King Cyrus by the command of the Lord, he was actually reading the command that had come not just from King Cyrus, but from the king of kings. And as Darius read that command from the king of kings, well, I believe that his heart was filled with the faith that led him to start obeying the word of God. With this in mind, I can't help but to consider the statement that Paul made in Romans chapter 10. It's verse 17 where we learn that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I believe that King Darius read the word of God in the decree of King Cyrus and he was filled with faith. And from this, we can see that those who will read the word of God with a receptive heart as they seek the truth, these people will also receive the faith that we all need to to live our lives for the Lord. And it's for this reason that I truly believe that King Darius ended up being filled with this sort of faith after reading the scroll of King Cyrus, which, remember, contained the commandment of God. Further proof of my point can be found here in Ezra's account. And with this as the focus, let's pick up our study of Ezra chapter 6. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 8, here King Darius declares, Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, and lambs for the burnt offering of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail that they may offer sacrifices of sweet aroma to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Here in these verses we learn about the financial support that King Darius decreed as he further supported the construction of the temple. And as we consider this investment on the part of King Darius, well, there's no doubt in my mind that Darius had become a believer. I think that this is further proof that he had placed his faith in the God of heaven and earth. And the reason I say this is, listen, we tend to spend our money on the things that we truly love and believe in. We tend to invest our money in those causes that we want to support. And with this in mind, I can't help but to consider the conversion of the first century Christians who began to liquidate all the properties that they weren't using so that they could use the finances to support the work of the ministry there in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, it's in Acts chapter 4, Luke sums it up by informing us that the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. That's right, much like King Darius, 
who, you know, after reading the word of God, decided that he wanted to commit his finances to the reconstruction of the temple and to the sacrifices of the Lord. You know, the, the, the born-again believers there in, the, in, in Jerusalem, they, they demonstrated the same sort of desire. They demonstrated the same sort of desire after becoming born-again believers. They began to commit their cash to the great commission of Christ Jesus. And in this way, we can see how the people of faith are financially invested in the, word of, uh, in, in the work of God. Not only that, but the people of faith will also realize that there is no authority greater than the king of kings. With this in mind, let's pick up our study of Ezra chapter 6. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 11, here King Darius declares also, I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it and let his house be made a refuse heap because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to, the, uh, to alter it or to destroy this house of God, which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree, let it be done diligently. Wow. Here we find King Darius, he's declaring his complete submission to the authority of the Lord. The proof of my point can be found in the fact that he invoked the God of Israel to rise up and destroy anyone who who would try to alter this edict. And, And this includes any king. Yeah, so, so anyone who would try to change this edict, anyone who would try to come along and destroy the house of the Lord or stop the work from, from its progress, yeah, he's saying the Lord's going to wipe them out. And he invoked the God of Israel to rise up and destroy any king who would dare to destroy the house of God, which, which is being rebuilt there in Jerusalem. And by any king, he's including himself because he was a king. So he's saying, hey, if I try to change this, Let me be destroyed. King Darius was submitting himself to the king of kings. And the reason why is because I believe he truly believed in the supreme authority of the Lord. Now as we consider the way that King Darius submitted himself to the king of kings, we should take a moment to ask, am I following in the footsteps of King Darius? Am I also living in submission to the decrees of our King Jesus? In other words, are we taking the time to read his word and obey his instructions? With this question in mind, I can't help but to remember something that Jesus said in John chapter 14. It's there where he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. In other words, listen, if we truly love the Lord Jesus, if we truly submit to him as our king, then we'll not only spend time reading his word, but we will also want to keep his word as as we submit to the authority of our Savior. We should not only have a desire to read his word, but we should also develop a desire to keep his word or to live in obedience to the word. James put it plainly in the first chapter of his epistle. There he encouraged his audience to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Think about that for a moment. 
the person who hears the word of God, but then doesn't adjust their life to become a doer of that word, they're living in self-deception. But those who, will, who truly trust in the Lord, they'll search the scriptures, they'll study the word of God, and then submit to the instructions that we find in the scriptures. And with that being the case, we should just spend a second examining our own lives by asking, am I still living my life according to my own desires, according to my, my own uh, path and plan? Or am I truly living a life of submission as I obey the decrees of King Jesus? With this question in mind, I want to consider how the obedience of Darius empowered the people of God to accomplish their work. And so with with that, let's pick up our study of Ezra chapter 6. We'll begin reading there at verse 13. Here we learn that Tatnai, the uh, governor of the region beyond the river, uh, Shethar, Bozani, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edu. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now here in these verses, uh, we find the people of God completing the construction of the temple according to the commands that the Lord had revealed through the kings of Persia. And in this way, we can see how the Lord uh, actually used the kings of Persia, like Cyrus and Darius, and then afterwards Artaxerxes. The Lord used these kings to empower the people of God uh, to overcome the attacks of the enemy. Remember, the enemy, uh, the, the, the angry antagonists were, were trying to stop them from completing this project. But the Lord used these Persian kings to provide the people with protection so that they could accomplish this work. Now think about that for a moment, because it was the word of God that changed the heart of the Persian king Cyrus. And as a result, he decided to set the, the Israelites free so that they could return to the land of promise. And it was the word of God that changed the heart of the Persian king Darius. And as a result, he also protected the people of God so that they could complete uh, the temple. And with that being the case, you know, as we consider the way that the word of God impacted the lives of King Cyrus and Darius, and, and, and then also later Artaxerxes, you know, it, it's no wonder as we consider these stories. It's no wonder that the angry antagonists here in America are doing everything they can to, to, to keep the word of God out of the political arena. Of course they want to keep the word of God out of the political arena. And while it's true that there's nothing in the Constitution about the separation of church and state, uh, the people who make up the progressive left, they're determined to convince us that there's some sort of separation of church and state that's guaranteed by the Constitution. Really? Where? Where is it? I have yet to see that. But this doesn't stop the people on the progressive left from, from conflating conservative Christianity with hatred, bigotry, and racism. They, they want to try to convince Americans that you know, conservative Christians are, are, are horrible, you know, racist, bigot, you know, hate-mongering people. And so we've got we to gotta keep that Bible you know, out of the political arena. knowing that, that this attack is on America, to keep our politicians from uh, embracing the scriptures and, and, and judging accordingly. 
Well, we would do well to follow the instructions that Paul presented in 1 Timothy chapter 2. There he declares, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Christian, listen, we need to be praying for the political leaders who are running this country. And one reason why is because, you know, the enemy is dead set on keeping them from being converted by the word of God. You know, the the unbelievers who are in politics right now, which is probably most of them, there might be a few Christians in there somewhere. I I don't know that that I've seen those people yet. But anyway, so, you know, the, the fact is, though, that we've already seen how the word of God impacted the lives of King Darius and King Cyrus. And you better believe that if there's a revival here in our country and, and, and politicians start getting saved after hearing the word of God, it's going to change a lot of things here. And we have to be praying to this end. We have to be praying for our leaders. And the reason why is because their decisions affect us for better or for worse. Do you want to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence? Well, we need leaders who are listening to the word of God. And obeying the word of God. Well, how how does that happen? I I don't think Biden's about to take my phone call tonight. You know, I don't think Adler is going to sit down and have dinner with me, you know, tomorrow. So, So how do we go about this? Well, one way is by praying. Praying for our leaders praying that they might hear the word of God and that they might be saved. That way we might be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. Listen, I get it. It's super easy to spend all of our time complaining about them. And the meme game is strong. I love it. It's hilarious. And yet, is it helping? Is it changing anything? Is it fixing anything? Oh, don't worry. Trump will be back soon. He'll fix it all right. He didn't do it in the first four years. Is that, is that who you're trusting in? Is that your savior? Not my savior. Jesus is the only one that's going to fix all this. And so we need to be praying. And, and, and listen, if you spend half the time that you spend complaining, praying, wow, how much time would that be? We would do better to pray so that they might hear the word of God and receive it with repentance and faith so that we might see leaders in our country like King Cyrus and King Darius all of a sudden making decrees that are in line with the word of God. Wouldn't that be incredible? And not only should we be praying for politicians, but we should also make sure that that we ourselves are becoming the dedicated disciples who are serving our Savior because, because this is really where revival happens. When the people of God become the dedicated disciples of God. With this in mind, let's pick up our study of Ezra chapter 6. If you would look with me there, we'll begin reading at verse 15. Here we learn that the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the uh, the dedication of this house of God with joy. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 
400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. They assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service, uh, service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean. And they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Now here in these verses, we learn that it took four years for them to complete this construction project. Once the project started up again, it took four years until it was finished. And while it's true that they, uh, the, the celebrated, they celebrated this dedication of the temple, you know, once the project was finished, uh, we must not fail to realize that the dedication celebration of the second temple was only possible because of the dedication of those who committed themselves to the work of the Lord. This dedication celebration that we're reading about here with all of the sacrifices according to the law of Moses, it was, it was possible because some Israelites decided to dedicate their lives to this construction project. You know, they, these people could have remained behind in the comfort of their captivity. You know, things back in Babylon weren't all that bad. They had grown accustomed to, to living in this sort of way. And the proof of my point can be found in the fact that so many of them did stay. Many of the Israelites stayed back in Babylon because they were comfortable. But rather than remaining behind in the comfort of their captivity, these Israelites, they determined to go and rebuild the temple according to the instructions of the Lord. And with this as their goal, you know, the dedication of the temple was preceded by their dedication to serve the Lord. Listen, it was their dedication to serve the Lord that led them to endure the journey to Jerusalem. It was their dedication to the Lord that helped them to receive the rebuke of the prophets when when they stopped building the temple. It was their dedication to the Lord that gave them the strength to stand against the angry antagonists. And it was their dedication to the Lord that allowed them to dedicate the second temple right there in Jerusalem. In light of their example, I encourage every Christian to realize that those who want to accomplish incredible things for the Lord, well, listen, it doesn't happen sitting on the couch. It doesn't happen, you know, when you dedicate yourself to as much creature comfort as you can find. If you want to accomplish incredible things for the Lord, we must first determine to become dedicated disciples who are ready to endure any and every hardship so that we can become the servants of our Savior. I like the way that Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 20. It's there where he declares, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Christian, listen, those who want to accomplish incredible things for the Lord, we must be ready to become those believers who are serving our Savior with determined dedication. And, and you, you know, when I, when I see people, you know, showing up to church and it's just calling, here I am, I'm here to, to, to fix everything wrong with this church, you know, my, my thought is, oh, here's a broom. You know, I'll, I'll show you where the dust is. If you want to be great, then become a servant. If you want to do great things for the Lord, be a dedicated disciple. 
And, and yeah, listen, we need to become these dedicated disciples who are ready to serve our Savior, even when there's emotional suffering and personal sacrifice, because that's really when, when the test of dedication is felt. The true test of a dedicated disciple is that they remain dedicated to serving our Savior when the going gets rough. In order to prove my point, let's consider the example of those who were there at the dedication of the second temple. If you would, let's pick up our study of Ezra chapter 6, beginning at verse 21. Here Ezra writes, Then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Now here in the final verses of this chapter, we learn a little bit more about those who were there on the day when the temple was dedicated. There were, first of all, the Israelites who returned from the Babylonian captivity. And as we consider their decision to leave the land of their captivity, again, there should be no doubt that they all suffered the the sacrifice of severed relationships. And, And the reason why is because they all had friends and family members who decided to remain behind in Babylon. Yeah, they... They all suffered severed relationships. And not only that, but they all suffered emotional discomfort as they began to experience uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the troubles and the trials that would come along with you know, heading from Babylon back to Jerusalem. You know, what is it going to be like? You know, the, the journey alone was going to be tough. And then arriving to a place where you know, your home might be burnt to the ground or, or you know, where there, there's really no... You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, creature comforts that you're used to. And yet they were willing to suffer all of this, this uh, stress and they were ready to suffer all of these things because they wanted to experience the joy of becoming the dedicated servants of the Lord. So that's the group that came out of Babylon. But then we should also notice here that there are Israelites at the dedication who had separated themselves from the filth of the pagan nations. In order to better understand what this means, I should remind you about the remnant of the Israelites who were allowed to remain in the land of promise during the days of the Babylonian captivity. And it's sad to say that many of those who who had remained behind, maybe because they evaded the the capture or uh, they were permitted to stay, regardless of how they remained in the land, well, while they were there during that that 70 years of captivity, many of them embraced the idolatries uh, of the foreigners who were sent to occupy the land as well. And so you have Israelites, this remnant, remaining behind and beginning to further embrace the, the idols of the pagan nations. But then came the day when the captives returned from Babylon, and it was at that point in time when those of the remnant who had embraced the idolatries of the pagan nations, they realized that they needed to repent. They, they realized that they needed to return to the Lord. It was at that point in time when they started separating themselves from the pagan people that they had grown accustomed to so that they could then begin to experience the joy of becoming the dedicated servants of the Lord. No doubt that there was some pain and suffering involved here. And I'm certain that they all had these relationships that they were interconnected with. And yet when they saw the Israelites returning and and starting to rebuild the temple, they realized that they needed to repent. 
They needed to separate themselves from the filth of this world. And in light of their example, we would all do well to recognize that there's a connection between our separation from the filth of this world and our dedication to the Lord. You can't be a dedicated disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ while maintaining your, your connection with the filth of this world. Those who want to become dedicated disciples who, who are truly experiencing the joy of Jesus, well, they must be brought to the place of self-sacrifice sacrifice as our Savior leads us to separate ourselves from those things that would lead us back into the bondage of this wicked world. I like the way that Paul sums it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's beginning at verse 14 where Paul declares, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. and You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Christian, listen, the dedicated disciples of the Lord are those who are completely committed to Christ Jesus. And yet it's crucial to understand that a complete commitment to Christ Jesus doesn't occur when someone's sitting on the fence between Christianity and the world. The Lord's really not interested in, in the person who's clubbing Saturday night and serving Sunday morning. Listen, if your heart is still stuck in Babylon then it's time to remember that there can be no communion between the temple of God and the idols of this wicked world. And if you're still spending your time pursuing the filth of this wicked world, then it's time to remember we've been called to come out from among them. Not keep one foot in them. Not have a little bit of world and a little bit of church. Not be the lukewarm Christian, but rather the separate saint that's being sanctified for the glory of our Savior Jesus. Let's become those Christians who are completely committed to Christ Jesus. And then as we draw near to the Lord with our whole heart, we can rejoice in knowing that the Lord will then fill our hearts with the joy of Jesus as we become the dedicated disciples of the Lord. Let's pray.